Hey, it's Timmy Whispers from Stacey King's Give Me the Hot Sauce podcast. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track, all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads, ensure you can take on any adventure. I'm planning on going river rafting this weekend, and I'm ready to head out on the trails with all-wheel drive. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, Hoop fans, you want a great podcast that covers the Bulls from A to Z? Try Sharpshooters with Mark Schanowski and David Schuster. I think LaMelo Ball will be the number, number one, one pick. Whoever has it. I don't think he's going to go to Minnesota. I think Minnesota will trade out of that pick. And some team's going to jump up to one. It wouldn't shock me if that was the Chicago Bulls. Maybe you make that move. Well, it's interesting that you say that. There's a rumor that the Bulls would go from four to two. Mm-hmm. The Bulls would trade either Lowry Markinen or Wendell Carter to to Golden State, plus the number four pick to get number two. Well, you know, Steve Kerr would love to have Lowry Markin and a 7-1 guy who can shoot threes, playing with the Splash Brothers. You bet. Who's a you know pretty versatile athlete who can run a lot of their offense. I think he, I think Lowry would be a great fit. And and I don't even know exactly if they're in the game to try to move up to one or two. It just depends on how high they are on ball. Because if you don't think that he's a franchise-changing talent, you just stay at four and, and you take the best player on your board. That's Sharpshooters with Shanowski and Schuster. You can find it on iTunes, Podbean, Spotify, all of your podcast delivery systems. Just check for Beer's Barroom Radio Network. And now, Stacy King's Gimme the Hot Sauce with Mark Shanowski. Some may find the following disturbing. Discretion is advised. I had a lot of fun growing up. You know, we used to play a game called the Dozens. It's a game where anything is is fair game. So if we were going one-on-one, you could talk about my shoes, my my shirt, my hairstyle. I could talk about anything about yeah. you. But there was one rule, though. You couldn't talk about somebody's mama. If you, said, enough, if you yep. said something about somebody's mama, they was getting a two-piece. Okay? <laughs> you, you say something We're not about talking me. about yeah. chicken. No, we ain't talking about chicken either. <laughs> if you said something about Lois King, you was getting a two-piece with no soda. Okay? <laughs> Bulls win 50 games the year before with Doug Collins. 50. You're a 50-win team, and you get three first-round picks. That automatically, sleuth, baby. that automatically puts you in in a championship mode because yeah. now you've got some young kids coming in that you can fill out in your bench and, and put in roles to help you. 50-win team, three first-round picks is unbelievable. Yeah, people talk about Jerry Krause, and, and you know he's gotten a lot of criticism over the years, but he did a damn good job putting talent around MJ and those guys. It's terrible with the way he was uh, portrayed in The Last Dance. I, I'm a big Jerry Krause fan. Yes, the NBA is back in business. A 72-game season is going to get started on December 22nd, which means my good friend Stacey King has to go back to work. I mean, you've been home for a long time, and this whole COVID thing, you've been quarantined, and now you're going to get back at it. What's it like? 
Well, it seems like we've been away for like a year. Yeah, you know, it's it does. Just the, I mean, the days have gone by so long, and you know, it's been confined to your home, and you know, for at least three months we couldn't go anywhere. So that was really hard. Uh, the season ending the way it did last year, you know, in March, uh, the earliest I've ever had a season done, you know, so that was an adjustment. And then trying to figure out, you know, what's the next step, you know, after the bubble situation and, you know, how everything played out with that, uh, they were able to contain, you know, basically the coronavirus, keep it on the outside. No one was getting sick there. What what is the you know what does the next season hold the twenty you know twenty twenty one season hold we don't know uh, but now we've got some kind of clarity with the uh, the dates you know mm-hmm. so I mean I don't know you know how the travel is going to be I don't know what the broadcaster is going to be are we going to be doing games live are we going to be in a studio no one's really said anything to us we just know that you know the season is going to start in December they're going to get seventy two games in hopefully uh, they're going to release half the schedule now. And then the other half later, and I think that's based on to see how well, you know, everybody is able to get through this without getting any, you know, cases. Uh, So it's kind of, we're still in like a a holding pattern, basically. And we got a special treat coming up later on the Gimme the Hot Sauce podcast. The great Neil Funk is going to join us, Stacey's longtime partner, part of the dynamic duo. We can't wait to talk to Neil a little bit later in the show, so be on the watch out for that. And it's going to be kind of strange with training camp coming up December 1st. I mean, this is just jumping on people right away. What was it like for you as a player when you were kind of maybe dreading the thought of, man, I got to go to training camp? Because back then, you had two-a-day practices. They were long. They were grueling workouts. Now, they kind of make one a walkthrough. But what was that like for you as a player trying to get ready for the ordeal that was to come? Well, you got to remember, we were going all the way till mid-June, yeah. you know, yeah. uh, because of the championship seasons that we were having. So we were going deep every summer. So the turnaround was very quick. And the one thing about Phil, and this is what made Phil so good as a coach, is he had the pulse of his players. He recognized that we had a short summer, and he would tell us to come into training camp, come in about 60, 65%, and we'll work our way up. And so you didn't have to come in in Navy SEAL shape. You know, you come in and we'd work our way up. And and that was really cool because he understood that, you know, we didn't have a lot of time off and that we needed that time off and he didn't want to break us. And so we'd work our way into it. And it, it you know, we continue to win championships. Now, I played for Pat Riley in Miami. Well, I came in with that approach in Miami, coming in at 65%, <laughs> and that was a huge mistake. I mean, you he wasn't cut, having No, no. I mean, I'm telling you, his – his workouts are legendary. When you come into yeah. a Pat Riley training camp and you see, you can talk to Jimmy, you see Jimmy, you see that team, they're a tough-minded team. But his training camp, you had to be 110% shape. You had to come in almost Navy SEAL yeah. type of mentality because his training camp was so hard. I mean, I remember walking out on the floor. You know, you're going out there to shoot baskets and shoot basketballs and warm up before the actual practice starts. You know you're going to do two-a-days. But you don't know what to expect. So you walk out there and there's no balls on the racks. There's nothing. So you're like, man, where, where's all the balls? Like, this is, this, you know, I'm in the training camp. Where are the balls? So he would never put the balls out there because you had to do a conditioning test to start off before you even you touch the to earn the, ball. the basketball. Exactly. So he had us run these things called, you know, they were suicides, but they were called 17s. And you run, it's not long length, full length of the court. It's side, you know, sideline mm-hmm. to sideline. And you had to run in a specific time. And guards had a specific time. Two guards had a specific time. Small forwards, power forwards, and center. So 
I remember my first day, I was like, I know I wasn't in shape. So I was like, <laughs> I'm going to run with the centers because I'm faster than all the, the big guys. Yeah. So I don't want to run with the power forwards. And then Pat Roddy came over there and made me switch lanes. And, you know, you're going to go run with the, the forwards. And I was like, wow. And I remember that first day, your time, you had to have a cumulative time. Like, you know, power forwards had to be done in 53 seconds. You had to finish your 17. But a cumulative time, let's just say, you know, three minutes, your cumulative time. And if you came in at three minutes or under three minutes, you're good. Anything after three minutes was failure. And you had to continue to run in training camp until you beat that time. And there would be, man, there would be tons of guys. I mean, Every single day before practice, you'd see groups of guys having to run seven teams. It took me it took me two days because I switched shoes because we were sweating so much and it's so humid in Miami yeah. that I, my shoes felt like bricks. So I put on my track shoes. I put on like running shoes, like like my running <laughs> shoes, and and no taped ankles, just like joggers, and finished it. And people were laughing at me. I said, "Y'all can laugh all y'all want to, but I'm getting off these seventeens while y'all still running them." Yeah, training camp is no joke in Miami. I mean, they they send guys home if they don't meet the standards of oh. conditioning and even the the body fat index. If they're not happy with that, uh, Deion Waiters, they send him home. They said I mean, you, you didn't you didn't meet the standards. I, I'm gonna be honest with you. One of the toughest one of the toughest uh, places to play as yeah. far as as far as what they expect out of you. I mean, they talk about that heat culture. There's a heat culture. And and they weed out the people who don't fit that culture. And you said that, you know, you just brought up the, the example of uh, Deion Waiters. But, you know, when, you, when Pat Riley's first year was there, when he came in, he was coming from New York. I'd already had the Pat Riley experience. Yeah. I'd heard about it from a lot of guys from the Knicks. Like, when we would play the Knicks in the playoffs, you know, they would be going, you know, at the end of the season, they're going back to two-a-days to start the playoffs. And, and I remember Oakley going, yeah, we're getting ready to go to South Carolina for two-a-days. And I'm like, well, the playoffs are getting ready to start. Are you serious? And, yeah, we always do this. And I thought that was the craziest thing I'd ever heard. And then when Pat comes to Miami, now you hear all these stories here in Miami. You're, we're staying at the Boca Raton because Pat Riley did everything first class. We stayed at all Ritz-Carlton's, nothing but Ritz-Carlton's. So we're in Boca Raton, and you're at this huge resort. There's jet skis, and <laughs> there's all these nice little amenities. And you're like, oh, yeah, this is going to be cool. Bringing your golf clubs. You're bringing all this stuff, and then you get there, and you like, you find out that there is no – those amenities are like mirages because you never see them. You never get a chance to get outside and, and do those things. So when the first meeting comes, you know, coaches give you a playbook. And they give you like a thin playbook. This is what we're going to run during the year, and they design all the plays, and you're supposed to study it and whatever. This guy comes out with a with a playbook that was the size of a New York City phone book. And every day he would test you on something. So you actually had to, after a hard <laughs> two-a-day workout, yeah. you would have to go to your room at night when you should be sleeping and getting ready for the next hard day of practice. You literally had to study like you were in college because he would ask you a question at breakfast. He'd be like, okay, Stacy, what's floppy down and what's the action we're trying to get off that? And, you, you know, if you didn't know the answer – Oh, you're running. You know, everything was everything there was competition, uh, no out of bounds. You know, when you're playing scrimmaging, there was no out of bounds. The wall was playable. Guys were diving into the walls. <laughs> I, I'm telling you, when you when I see Jimmy and I when I knew Jimmy was going to go there, that's why he likes it. I knew Jimmy yeah. would fit in. That's his yeah. type of place. That's his type of mentality. And it was very evident this year being able to get Miami to the finals that he would fit in there. Yeah, Kendall Gill played one year in Miami later in his career, and he said it was the worst year of oh. his career because he said he said he was so worn out from practice that yes. the, at the games, you know, he didn't have much left in terms of energy. And he said he broke his hand at midseason. He said he had a beautiful place overlooked the ocean. He said I, I got to sit out for six weeks. I was great. You know, I, 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 tur I turned my ankle. I had a third degree sprain. Should have broke it. 
And I remember when, you know, if you miss practice, there was no sitting down, chilling, and relaxing over there. Pat Riley, if, as long as the team was practicing, you were doing something. Yeah. And I remember him, <laughs> I had a cast up to my knee. And I remember him taping my ankle to a, a bike and making me ride the bike <laughs> with a tape cast on. And I was like, are you serious? No I mean, days off. It's there like was Bill no Belichick. days off. I mean, yeah. and, and you know, he ran a tight ship. Um, you know, so when you when you go from a Phil Jackson and his perspective as a coach and how he did things, and then you go to a Pat Riley and see how he did things, yeah. man, completely opposites, comparing apples and oranges. Yeah, we saw Pat Riley at the bubble. He was fiercely competitive as Miami got to the finals. You could see that he was grinding on every possession. He still deeply wants to win. And they're going to be a factor in the chase for all those top free agents in 2021 when Giannis, potentially Kawhi Leonard, Miami's going to be in on all those guys. Well, it, it's a great place to play. I mean, if they, it's a beautiful place. The weather's warm in December when everybody else yeah. is caught up in 10 feet of snow. Uh, so that's a selling point. Then you got the, the state tax thing there that, that people want to go there for that but there's a culture there you know you know that if you play on that team guys are going to bring it every night mm-hmm. and you're going to play for a great coach in, in Spolstra Spolstra is no different than Pat maybe a little bit maybe just a tad bit different way they do things yeah but the mentality is the same way so when I was in when I was in Miami Spolster was like the second string camera guy. The video guy, yeah. The video guy. Yeah. He wasn't even like a really a major, but you could tell that he was soaking up knowledge. He was, you know, you had Stan Van Gundy there. I used to, we used to, you know, tease about Stan Van Gundy. You know, you'd be warming up shooting and, you know, normally you have ball boys, whatever. And Stan Van Gundy would dive on the floor for loose balls. <laughs> like you would miss a shot and Stan Van Gundy literally would dive like Dennis Rodman to go get a loose ball. And you were looking at him like, He's a coach, yeah. but that's the mentality and, and the mindset that you have, what you have with Pat Riley. It even went through the coaches. It filtered down to everybody in the organization, and that's one of the reasons why they've been successful so long. And then Stan Van Gundy took over for Riles, and then they made the trade for Shaq, and Riley's going, I can win another championship. Stan, you got to get out of here. I'm, I'm, I'm taking over the team again. <laughs> yeah, that was that was, that was was a shrewd move by, <laughs> by Pat Riley. But I'll I tell you what, though, I mean, Pat is 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 a funny guy. I mean, just a just a really intense guy. And when we would lose, you know, when we lose the Bulls, guys still had a good time. We play cards, whatever. We we were upset that we lost. Um, we knew we should have won a game, but we we didn't let that affect us. Game is over. Phil would always say, "Game's over. Put that one in the in the trash and let's get on to the next one." But Pat Riley would let it like it would linger. Mm-hmm. So if you lost a game. That was being carried over to the next game. So when we get on a plane, there was no cards being played. There was no laughing, no no joking around. It was just stern face. And if you got caught laughing, mm-hmm. no telling what could happen to you. I mean, <laughs> I mean, he was really tough that way. There was no cell phones allowed on the bus. So you get on the bus and you want to call your kids and tell them good night. And Pat Riley would there would be a fine if you had your cell phone on the bus. And so yeah. it was it was I mean, he was trying to impose his will on that team. And I remember Glenn Rice, uh, you know, only played didn't even get a, a full season in with him, got traded right before the uh the season started to to bring in Alonzo Mourning from Charlotte. And Glenn Rice was uh on the back of the bus. He's on his phone talking. He's like, I I'm a grown man. Ain't nobody gonna tell me what I can do. And then probably about two weeks later, he was gone. And, then, and, then, and that set the whole tip. You got plenty for, of time to talk yeah, now. You got you can talk as much as you want to in Charlotte, but but the but the message was clear. Right. It's his way or the highway. Yeah. 
One of the great characters in the history of the league, Pat Riley, has done it in so many different ways in so many different places. Hey, the first order of business as we get ready for the new NBA season, the NBA draft coming up on Wednesday, November 18th. The Bulls right now have the number four and the number 44 overall picks. And, you know, Stacy and I just don't show up. We do our homework. we got this great app, the Bubble Up app. It's the cloud reimagined. We're looking at articles. We're looking at documents. You also organize your photos there. A great app. You want to load, download that and, and make best use of it. It's great for whatever team you're on to, to reach your group. And we've been doing a lot of research on the draft. And a lot of rumors going on. In our last episode, we talked about LaMelo Ball. And you're, you're really high in the kid. There's a lot of rumors that the Bulls might be one of the teams looking to trade up to number one and take LaMelo Ball. Yeah, I mean, it's it's possible. I mean, there, there's a lot of rumors you're going to hear before the day, before the draft comes. I mean, I heard today that, you know, Phoenix is looking possibly to move Devin Booker. Yeah, that's amazing. And, and they're sitting there saying the kid's 22 years old. He's a, he's a superstar, like, right now. I mean, if it wasn't for him in that bubble – I mean, you know, they went eight and zero. They were a team that was really scary in that bubble if they would have made the playoffs. And so, when you look at that team, and that's sometimes when you look at these teams and you scratch your head and you go, "What are you thinking?" Yeah. Because you've got some key pieces there. You've got a, a really good young, you know, nucleus, and he's the 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 main guy there. And you know, you're talking about trading him for you know different scenarios. I mean, uh, Bleacher Report had him going to Sacramento for Buddy Heald and and some other guys. Why and, would Phoenix uh, even consider a oh, trade like that? Now, now the, and then here's here's the Miami here's the Miami one right now where you know they're talking about trading Tyler Hero for and Duncan Robinson, Kendrick Nunn, Kelly Olynyk, uh, Olynyk for him. I mean, if, well, if you're if you're you're Phoenix, I mean, you're, you're saying to yourself, I mean, we already have this player. Like, why would we get rid of him? He's only 22 right. years old, and he's got such a huge upside. It's just, how about build around him? Mm-hmm. I mean, if anything you've learned from Jimmy Butler and the situation Jimmy Butler was in in Philadelphia, and no one wanted to build around him, and now Miami has built around him. You got to take that playbook right there and use that for Devin Booker the same way because you got Aiton, who's a who's a young up and coming center. You got all the pieces there, you know. Uh, Oubre, who's a good young small forward. It just it baffles me with some of these trade rumors, but they're all only rumors. Had a chance to talk to Casey Johnson, of course, the great uh, Bulls beat writer now working for NBC Sports Chicago, and he thinks that. What he's heard is that the Bulls really want to shore up the point guard position. They feel like Kobe White's future is at the off-guard spot, that he can be an instant offense kind of guy like Jamal Crawford or a Ben Gordon. Even if he's in a starting role, they, they feel like you know, he's not really a traditional point guard. Would you be in favor of the Bulls going at four and, and taking a point guard like, uh, like Killian Hayes or Tyrese Halliburton? You know, it's tough because I don't think you really, under the last coaching staff, you really didn't get a chance yeah. to see Kobe even attempt to play. He's only twenty guard. years old, and too. he's twenty years old. Yeah. And it, what he what he has shown you is the ability to score, mm-hmm. and that is that is important in this league. I mean, in order to have success, you've got to have guys that can score. And him and Zach Levine, you don't have to run plays for those guys. They can create their own opportunities. And with Kobe, my thing with Kobe is is that. You know, last, you know, you know, Jim Boylan, you know, they didn't give him a chance to play a little bit of point guard. Let's see if he can play with Zach. Let's see if they both can coexist mm-hmm. in the backcourt. Um, and I, I'd like to see it. I'd like to see it. But I'm not making those decisions. And, you know, so, you know, we're just sitting here speculating and, you know, and giving you our opinion. I love Kobe White. I think Kobe White's going to be a big time player. He's got great size. 
And you got to remember, too, Mark, I mean, who in this league really, I mean, how many true point guards do we have in this league? Most all the guards in this league are combo guards Looking anyway. Score, yeah. And they all, they're all scoring guards. So, I mean, point guard is, to me, is overrated. Mm-hmm. You know, it, can, he give me, can he give me five or six assists a game? And can he put up 20 and grab a couple of rebounds at six foot four, easy. six five easily? I'll take that. You know, let, let's see what he can do first before everybody's quick to move him. But I, that's not my decision. Well, you mentioned the offensive system. Another guy that we don't really know who he can be as a player is Wendell Carter Jr. He's missed half of each of his two NBA seasons because of injury, which is unfortunate. But the times he's been on the court, particularly in his second season, he was just a screener. You know, he got to the point where he would catch the ball in the mid post and he wouldn't even look at the basket because he knew that I can't shoot a two point shot. It's not part of our system. You know, what what is my role in the offense? And if the Bulls are gonna try to move up in the draft to go to two or one, I guarantee you they're gonna have to give up Wendell Carter Jr. and the four to move up. And he could turn into a really good player, but we don't even know that yet. Well, again, I, I, I look at him as in my opinion, just watching him play, you know, he's more of a power forward than center. You know, he's a guy that can face up and knock down 18, 20-foot jumpers. Uh, Does he have the three-point range that Lowry has? No, he doesn't. You know, having both of those guys on your team, you know, you have the luxury of playing them both together, which we didn't see a lot of that because Wendell's either hurt or what the previous coaching staff was trying to do with them, you know, individually. But he has to score. You know, he can't just be, you know, a rebounder, a defender, because he does that well already. Now if you add some kind of scoring acumen to his game, and I think Billy Donovan can bring this out in him. I think Billy Donovan will develop him. I think Billy Donovan will recognize that this kid has talent and he will he will cater to him and get him to be more offensive-minded. I think when you look at this whole team, there are certain guys on this team that I think Billy Donovan will make a huge impact on that we haven't seen other coaches do in the last few years. And I think Larry Markin's one of them. Larry Markin was – the the, the 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 season he had last year was aberration. I mean, this come on, man. Yeah. You don't go for your first couple of years looking like a future star to all of a sudden you can't play anymore. You know, and I think he's gonna bounce back. I think, you know, this is a, a good, you know, good coach for Lowry to do what he needs to do to become the player that he can believe in, that he could possibly be. But at the same time, you know, I'd just like to see Billy Donovan get a chance to work with this lineup. And then if it doesn't work and you see these pieces don't, you know, match up then maybe you say, okay, let's let's move some guys around because this draft is not really as sexy as you know it's been in the past. Are there some good players? Yes, but how many guys in this draft you can look at and say those guys are actual you know superstar caliber players? I I think I only see like four, maybe five tops that could be all stars at some point in their their career. Yeah, the last couple of drafts have been sensational. You know, with Zion Williamson and John Morant last year and then Luka Doncic and Trey Young, DeAndre Ayton the year before. We've had guys that that can really make an impact on a franchise. That's why I'm looking forward to Wednesday thinking there's going to be some big trades. I think Minnesota's going to try to swap the number one pick. I think Golden State would like to get a vet with their number two pick. I think you're going to see all kinds of movement in the top four, which could involve the Bulls. Well, I I think a lot of people right now are are nervous, you know, because – a lot of lot of people love Lamelo Ball, mm-hmm. but it's it's a, it's a high risk, you know, high reward type of situation. So, you know, can he, as the number one pick, play with you know Towns and, and and play you know point guard there? You're gonna play him at the one. You're gonna play him at the two. You don't know. Uh, then you go down the list and you look at some of these other kids. You know, you look at look at you know. I mean, Anthony Edwards. They're talking about Golden State. You know, Golden State may take him. Wiseman to me 
is the guy that I think is the most intriguing guy out of these guys because you don't know because you didn't see a lot of him at Memphis. But what you did see of him was big playability. You know, a big that can run the floor, that is athletic, can play out the gym, you know, jump out the gym. And you put him on a team like Golden State, mm-hmm. you know, and with all those stars coming back, all that there's no pressure mm-hmm. there for him to have to go out there and say, hey, let me go out there and, you know, get 20 points. We can use his athleticism to rebound, block shots, you know, set some screens, get some duck in, dunk plays, learn from, you know, learn from their, their veteran players. That's an intriguing pick at two. I don't know if Golden State stays there. Um, and I don't know if they take him, but that, that to me right there is a solid pick for Golden State at two. We've seen a lot of uh, prospects come over from Europe that are very heralded, and they've kind of fizzle out in the NBA. That's kind of been the history of a lot of the European players. The young guy from Israel, Denny Avdia, who didn't put up very good numbers, but he's only 19. He's a 6'8 guy who can handle the ball. They look at him as a secondary creator from the wing. I tell you what. To me, it's buyer beware. I, I would stay away because a lot of these Euro guys come in and they have a tough time adjusting to the speed and the physicality of the league. Um, wh- what are your thoughts? I mean, obviously we haven't seen him play other than a few clips, but he's got some raw ability, but it's going to be a big adjustment moving from the Israeli league to the NBA. Well, the only thing I would say about that is is that, you know, like our guy, our tourist, you know, he yeah, spends he a lot know. of his time, you know, scouting Europe. He's he's one of the better European scouts, and, and I trust him. You know, sure. if, he, if yeah. he was to take him at four, I would trust him because he did his homework. Because he did his homework yeah. on it. And yeah. you look at that Denver team up and down that lineup. Yeah. I mean, you you. I mean, look at the foreign players that are there. I mean, no one even thought that you know Nurkic, who was on that team, you know, with with the, yeah, they traded they, they him. traded him, and Jokic was and, a second and, round and, pick. Exactly. So yeah. those two guys turned out to be really, really good picks for him. So, in my opinion. You know, I haven't seen an, enough of him to play, but if if Arturis, I'm trusting Arturis. Whoever and Arturis, AK we trust. Yeah, AK we trust. If he picks him, <laughs> I, I, I'm happy. I mean, me personally, because I'm I'm looking at finished products. I'm looking at guys that I've actually seen more yeah, of. Yeah, sure. Um, I, I think the kid um, Toppin is going to be a nice player. Yeah. You know, I think what you're he's looking, ready to go. I, can, he's ready know, to go plug right and now. Play. He's ready to play right now. Um, I think if you're looking at this draft in general. There's a lot of complimentary pieces, a lot of fill-in pieces from good teams, like teams that need, you know, there's some teams that need home runs, and there's some teams out here that just need singles. You know, give me a guy that can come in and give me 20 minutes and be a defensive specialist. You look at the kid, you know, from Florida State, you know. Uh, He's flying up the board. Well, Patrick yeah, Williams. Patrick Williams, yeah. okay. And the reason why, and he only averaged nine points a yeah, game. Yeah, he didn't start Florida. any games. So he didn't, he didn't look impressive at Florida State. But his intangible things that he's able to do, you know, he's able to guard people. He's able to guard multiple positions. He plays big. He's physical. He can run the floor. You know, things that you're looking, you know, for your bigs to do. He's six foot eight. I mean, you know, when you're looking at like, you know, guys like Draymond Green, you know, you're looking for guys like that with high motor. That's the first thing you hear when you talk about this kid is his motor. He loves to play. He he attacks people. And you're not going to ever have to say he's not going to be ready to play when that ball goes up. The other thing that we heard from uh, Casey Johnson is that the Bulls like Kyra Lewis Jr., who's a speedy point guard out of Alabama. Got a chance to watch Alabama play a few games. He reminds me a lot of Kobe White. I think there's some duplication there because he's lightning quick from end to end, but he doesn't have refined you know, passing skills. He's more of, of a scoring guard. But as you mentioned, there's just about every point guard now is looking to score. 
I mean, every team has a, a scoring guard. I mean, you you know, the day of, you know, the Chris Paul type of guards, and even he can score, but the day of having that guy that actually runs the show, mm-hmm. calls the play, gets people out John to Stockton. where they – Those guys are gone yeah. now. I mean, everything is the – it started with the Derrick Rose draft. Right. And every guard has been kind of based off of that – for the last 10 years is getting guys that can score, that can attack the defense from different angles on the floor, that put pressure on you on the offensive end. Not so much the defensive end, but on the offensive end, they put so much pressure on you, whether it be in transition, half-court pick and rolls, and that's been the model. And I and I think, you know, if you're looking for a guy that comes out there and says, okay, we, we need a guy that can be the point guard. I, I don't think they're I don't think that's useful right now. In my opinion, like the Bulls, you want to get the best available player. You're yeah. that high, you're gonna get a good player. You know, you just gotta make sure it's the right player. Yeah, I mean you go back in the NBA history, you look at guys like Quinn Buckner and Sherman Douglas and guys like that were just brought in. You just run the offense, get the ball to scores, look at the coach, he's going to signal the play, you execute things and just pass the ball. Now, if you don't have that that shooting component to it, if you can't make threes, you look at a kid that's down in Arizona, Nico Mannion, who is the is a father pace man, yep. he played at Utah and then played over in Europe. He was considered a lottery pick and he's fallen like a rock cuz he couldn't shoot the ball. Cassius Winston from Michigan State, you know, a good a really good solid big 10 player, but he doesn't have that explosive athletic ability or a consistent three-point shot. Those guys are tumbling into the second round because teams don't want them anymore. But see, this is a problem because, you know, teams, if you're not a sexy pick or you're not that that sexy player, they you fall. Yeah. And those guys end up being on championship caliber teams where you're sitting there going, wow, he, he fell all the way to 28? <laughs> wow, he is a solid player. You know, Cassius Winston, who stays four years at Michigan State, who's proven a winner, who's been in right. a high level. That, that has to mean something. You know, it doesn't mean as much as it used to be. You know, now it's like uh, I'm going with potential. You know, I'm going with this guy has a huge High ceiling. ceiling yeah. and, but but what if that kid never reaches that ceiling? And a guy like Cassius Winston comes in and gives you, okay, prime example, um, you know, Brunson in Dallas. You know, not athletic, uh, you know, not overly quick. But he ends up starting games for Dallas as a rookie. And he's been great, yeah. And been playing well. And and a lot of people passed on that kid because, one, he's not sexy, he's not fast. But, hey, remember, his dad played a long time in the NBA. So he's been around the NBA game a long time. So, therefore, you knew he had to have picked up some kind of traits about the NBA game. He was ready to play, you know, as his first year. Look at uh, Cole Anthony. You know, this was a kid he's who fallen. people thought yeah. was like a number one top five pick. He's dropping like a rock, and yeah. he he's coming from an NBA background with his father, and another one on the lines of athletic, you know, scoring yeah. point guards. I mean, there's going to be some diamonds in the rough here that slipped all the way down, and teams are going to get really good players and good value picks. All right, I'm going to put you on the spot. You've got uh, the general manager's hat. You're picking at four. Assuming the top three go the way that we expect it's going to be, Wiseman, Edwards, and Ball, who do you take at number four for the Bulls? Well, that's, that's that's really unfair to put me in that situation. That's, that's why we're here, Stacy. People that's wanted your opinion. Hey, you know what? Woo! Because here's what I'm thinking. This is what I'm thinking. Because I, I see the Bulls every night, okay? And, yeah. and what I see, a glaring need, is is at small forward. Mm-hmm. You know, it's because you don't know, as much as I like Otto Porter. You know, Otto Porter has not played in his career a full season. He's always hurt. And I know, I know he's on. I think this is a contract year for him. This is um, last year. Yeah. 
I'm I'm maybe looking at a small forward in this draft. You know, someone that, that I can that I can groom and he can you know I can get him ready for the future. Um, so you and, like my guy Isaac Okoro? I, I like him. I, I like Denny. If he could, if yeah. he could be that guy, uh, if he can show that he can, you know, defend at that position, because uh, Otto is a is an elite defender. It's just that he can't stay healthy. You know, if he's healthy, you know, Otto is a great three man in this league. But you know, if I if I could find me a, a legit small forward in this draft. And because I think Kobe can still be what you need him to be, mm-hmm. I just I would like to see him under a year. If because I'm only basing off of uh, Gilgis Alexander in Oklahoma City, from where he was as a Clipper to where he was last year as an Oklahoma City Thunder point guard, and that's playing with Chris Paul. He looked like a, a, a all star, and if Billy Donovan could do that for him, mm-hmm. I can only imagine what he can do for Kobe White. Because in my opinion, Kobe White is a much better scorer. Um, he's bigger, in my opinion. I think he can rebound from the guard position. And you can tell he just likes to play. But I, I, if I'm the Bulls, I'm going small forward. But then again, you know, what if LaMelo Ball slips down there? Right. You that know, would change everything. That would change everything because, you know, in my opinion, I think he can play three positions. I think it, on any team, he, he's a point guard. But I think he could play small forward. I think he could be in a three-guard rotation and let him be the primary ball handler in a three-guard set. And then you have Kobe and you have Zach on the on the wings. But defensively, that's where you'd be in trouble then because, okay, can he really – can he guard bigger people? You can't put Zach on a, on a small forward. you got to play Zach at his position. So – I'm taking I'm taking Denny unless uh, Lamelo falls. We finally got to the answer. I was gonna yeah, I was man. gonna ask John and Aldo. I mean I think Stacy's running <laughs> running for political you office. Know what? You he know he what? talked for two minutes. He didn't you answer the question. This is the election. This is the election year. Okay, I've been watching a lot of election, baby. I'm yeah. learning from the best. A lot of yeah. words. A lot of words. Well, yeah. I'll tell you what. Another guy who won't answer questions is Neil Funk, and that's coming up next on the Give Me the Hot Sauce podcast. On the latest Mike North Advantage, Philly Godfather shares his thoughts on betting, boxing, and Bears quarterback Nick Foles. Are you a little bit surprised, even though Foles has been on five teams in nine years, he did have success in your city, you're a little bit surprised about what's going on? You need an offensive line to protect him. I mean, you see what's going on. The Bears are having problems, issues on their offensive line. Uh, offensive red zone scoring this year, they're ranked 30th in the NFL, 20th in offensive efficiency, 31st with the rush. Uh, their offensive line, mediocre at best. They've given up 23 sacks on the year. I think they're ranked 18th in the adjusted sack rate. That's off the top of my head. Uh, so you really, if you really want to get the best Nick Foles, I mean, you got to remember when the Eagles won the Super Bowl, they had one of the best offensive lines in football. So uh, to me, he's a poor man's Tom Brady. You really need an offensive line because uh, he's one-dimensional. If you're going to expect him to try and scramble and make plays happen on the fly, it's not going to happen. If you can't protect him, you're not going to get much performance out of him. The Mike North Advantage. You can only find it on the Bears Barroom Radio Network. Hey, now we've got a really special guest joining us, a real treat for all our listeners. It's the great Neil Funk, Stacy's longtime partner on Bulls television broadcast. Stacy, why don't you do the introduction? Welcome, Neil, in. I'd like to take this moment <laughs> to uh, introduce oh one half of the dynamic duo, the myth, the man, the myth, the legend, Shane 
Shane, come home, Shane. <laughs> That's what it feels like right now, Neil, with you not being my partner after all these years. You're like that old piece of furniture that your wife wants you to get rid of, but I refuse to do it because it's just so comfortable. That's what it feels like right yeah. now with you not being with me. Well, here, it here's, hurts. The, here's the here's the uh, here's the deal. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you and I are always going to be part. Yes, so sir. You know, let's get that out of the way first. Secondly, yes, what's the name of this podcast so that you know I, I can spread the word for you guys? Yes, because you are does, such does a popular a man, and I know that you reach a lot of people in a lot of different places. It's called "Give Me the Hot Sauce." That's the name of it. Yes. Yeah. Give me the hot sauce. Yes. You know, because, Neil, you probably wake up in the middle of the night hearing Stacy screaming in your ear, give me the hot sauce, funk. <laughs> <laughs> now you're going to be hearing it every week. I actually have that phrase taped. Yeah. And so my wife gets up at about 3 o'clock in the morning and hits the button and it comes on. Saying, saying, yeah. give me the hot sauce. I, I, I am impressed. You tell Renee, thank you for having my voice on there. You're because welcome. What better way to wake up in the morning and hearing my beautiful golden pipes? Well, uh, singing the nationwide <laughs> jingle. Yeah, exactly. There's another one. <laughs> another one. I say that for dinner time. You know what? I don't like your sarcasm, Funk. I, I, I sense this sarcasm since we've been separated. I mean, you know, we haven't, you know, I talk to you. It's like every time I talk to you, you're somewhere. You're on Mount Kilimanjaro or wherever. You're, you're, you're out surfing, body surfing in Australia. You're skiing in the Alps. Yeah. You know, you're sunbathing in, in, you know, in Aruba. I mean, like, where are you at right now? I'm in a basement like you. <laughs> Listen, not, hey, you don't need to tell everybody where we're at. The joys of retirement. You know, we're we're in the bar room right now, yeah. okay? You don't need to tell anybody where oh. we're at, Funk, okay? okay. Now, you might All be right. in a basement, well, but we're not. I, I'll, be honest, I'll be honest with you. I, I mean, I've tried to uh, be as socially distant as I could uh, in all, all situations, so... No, I mean normally in the in the summer uh, we travel a lot. Yeah, no traveling, and uh, we're doing what everybody else is doing. You know, trying to trying to avoid getting sick. Yeah, I don't know if I'm talking out of school, but we've got a surprise for Bulls fans, right? Where they're going to be able to see Neil Funk coming up this season on Bulls broadcast. Can you share that with the with our listeners? Uh, well, I, I mean, there was some conversation. I, I don't. I don't know. I don't think they even know because there's, first of all, there's not a schedule yet. Right. Um, but, you know, the, just a game schedule and then uh, TV schedules and all that stuff will, um, I'm sure, immediately follow that because they don't have much time now to get to get ready for this. I mean, uh, training camp, you know, starts in early December and uh, Stacy and Adam will be doing it for real starting the 22nd of December. So I, my, my guess is what, we'll see what, what, uh, Adam's, uh, Adam Amin's schedule is and, and go from there. So, you know, being in the retirement now, have you, has it hit you yet, Neil? I know, cause you know, you travel, I know we haven't, you haven't traveled a lot this year, but has it really hit you yet that you're not going to be doing this anymore? Cause it's hit me. No, it, it hasn't yet, but it will the first time I turn on and there's you and Adam. Uh, it hasn't hit me yet because everybody was in the same boat. Uh, I thought it was a little unfair that the, the Bulls didn't get to go uh, down to Orlando, even if it was just to play seven or eight games or whatever it was for some of those teams. Um, but it hasn't hit me yet because it ended so abruptly. So uh, 
uh, you know, other than uh, watching, you know, the last dance and then watching the uh, NBA playoffs a little bit, uh, you know, I kind of, the NBA was the furthest thing from my mind. It had to be kind of melancholy not getting a chance really to sign off for the last time last season. You know, the season ended just abruptly in mid-March, and then you didn't get a chance to come back and, and say your goodbyes. That's why I think it's really great if the Bulls are going to let you fill in those games that, that Adam is not available with his Fox schedule so that Bulls fans can enjoy your, your work and, and you can also, you know, kind of say goodbye in your own fashion. Well, I didn't really even get to say goodbye to Stacy because <laughs> no, you didn't. Uh, I wasn't doing that game down in Orlando when they got the word that right. the season was halted. So, uh, and you know, to be honest with you, the, the hardest part for me uh, so far has been uh, not being able to to see Stacy or Timmy Hallam or Joe Neal or you know uh, the guys you know that I that I worked with for so long. So that, that's been a little bit difficult. But in terms of missing anything, I don't think I will until it starts again. So you've seen all the, the, the new moves the Bulls have made. You know, from being on the outside looking in now, you know, what is your impression of, of what they've done and where they're going? Well, I, I, I'll tell you, I couldn't be more optimistic. I think, you know, give Michael and Jerry credit. Uh, they, you know, they revamped the front office. Um, they brought in Billy Donovan, um, and obviously only no Billy from afar from watching him in coach in college and then, uh, at OKC. So, but, uh, the additions to the staff, I am bringing in Maurice Cheeks. I think it's huge. Uh, I mean, he's, he's terrific, especially, uh, you know, his ability to feel the pulse of players, forget X's and O's for a minute. I mean, Maurice played in the league, was, you know, a, a Hall of Fame point guard. Uh, he's got, uh, uh, you know, he, he's got a real feel for players. So I like what they, I really like what they've done. Um, and we'll, we'll see. I mean, the proof is in the pudding. As Stacy always says to me, you, you still have to go out and play the games. Um, so, but if they can stay healthy, um, with uh, everything being brand new, I think I think that uh, Billy will put players in a position to succeed, and uh, so I'm optimistic. I, I I'm I'm looking forward to seeing uh, just what they have, you know, when they get this thing underway. I'm kind of shocked that Stacy asked you a question about basketball. I mean, I thought we were going to talk well, about some some stories of life on the road and and, and some outrageous you know Stacy King Once stuff. Once again, Mike Tyson, you bit me in the ear, you're biting on the earlobe. Okay, Mike Tyson, below the belt. And, and I'm surprised, maybe I'm surprised you didn't even listen to any of my questions that you brought that up now. All these years, yeah, exactly. you were actually listening. Well, I'm impressed. And Shinowski, we're going to talk about what you just said. Yeah, later. well, let's get let's get to the funny stories about about Stacy King, life on the road. What, what, give us a couple of your favorites. Well, I mean, Stacy, Stacy has got so many things going on in so many places that, I mean, he's got friends everywhere. He's you know he, he does this. Uh, he was doing the serious stuff for a while. Um, you know, it seemed like life on the road with Stacy was. We hardly saw each other till, you know, and we would see each other on the plane, obviously. And uh, then when we got to, you know, whatever cities, but, uh, and we, you know, from time to time go to dinner and, and so forth. But 
you know, the league is different now. And Stacy can attest to this from when the early days when Stacy and I were together, uh, there was a lot more, uh, I don't want to say camaraderie, but there, there was a lot more of, you know, hanging out together and stuff like that. Um, it's just different now. It's, it's more of a business. You're there to, you know, on a business trip rather than a, than a pleasure trip. So, uh, that, that's the big difference for me and, and the direction that the league has gone and it doesn't make it wrong or, uh, doesn't make it bad at all. It's just, uh, it's much more businesslike, I think, than, uh, than it was back when Stacy played and when I first came into the league. You know, our, our fans are so familiar listening to you do Bulls games and, you know, from the radio to television, your transition to television. Tell, tell the listeners, you know, a little bit more about yourself, Neil, that, you know, what you did before you, you were a Bulls broadcaster, where you worked before. Because I think everybody just attributes you. You've just been, always been with the Bulls. But, you know, you also had a smooth jump shot. You got a jersey retired, your high school basketball jersey retired. The, the splendid, splendid splinter. You know, you got a nickname. Uh, you're a legend in Indiana. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself other than the Bulls broadcast. Let, let our listeners know, you know, a little bit about the funk. Well, you know, actually, my my broadcast career started downstate in Danville, Illinois. So uh, I know Mark's probably familiar with, you know, Danville. But, uh, I mean, I really, that's where I got into broadcasting. I had no thought of becoming a broadcaster. As Stacy, I'm sure when you were uh, graduating from Oklahoma and getting ready to go into the NBA, I'm sure you weren't sitting there going, you know what, if this NBA thing doesn't work out, I think I'll be a broadcaster. Nope. And uh, you, were, you were thinking, I'm, I'm ready to go play professional basketball. Well, I had no thought of doing play-by-play uh, -play of games until uh, I went to work for a radio station, but it was more, uh, I was really hired to sell time and, you know, do some commercials and stuff like that. And, and I kind of got thrown into a, a situation where they did almost 270 uh, games a year, football, basketball, baseball. And so that's, that's where I, that's where I started. And then, you know, my, when I got to the NBA, it was with Philadelphia and then from there to Kansas city for five years. Um, and that was probably uh, where I uh, became an NBA broadcaster. Um, if you want to phrase it that way. Uh, the five years in Kansas City, because in those days you simulcast and uh, there weren't, you know, you, you weren't on TV every night. There were probably only 20, 22 games uh, uh, televised, at least in the Kansas City market. Um, but when you did do television, it was a simulcast. And that was, uh, <laughs> you want to you grow up fast. That, that's the way to do it. Simulcast without a producer or director uh traveling you got to set up all the equipment on the road and you know for radio and then jump around and do an open for tv i mean it was crazy absolutely crazy so the way things are now uh with uh as, as stacy and i have always had a producer and a director and a graphics person and you know all this help a floor you know a person on the floor with us um you know, back in the day, you had none of that, nothing. You were just on your own. So it either worked out or it didn't work out. And a lot of times it didn't work out. 
Neil, I'm sure a lot of the younger fans you know, know you as the TV voice of the Bulls, but they don't realize that during the Jordan dynasty years, you were the radio play-by-play guy, and then they moved you over to television. How different of a transition is that for a broadcaster? I mean, was that was that something that you welcomed, or did you have to kind of be convinced, especially because you had Stacey King as your partner? Well, <laughs> yeah, another jam. <laughs> this that. is not going. I'm, I'm, I'm scoring points with I'm, I'm, I'm respecting Neil, the Hall of Famer, and not jumping into what you have to say. But I'm I'm about right. ready to give Mark Sinowski a throat punch. He's about two seconds away from getting a throat punch. The Neil. old two piece, and we're not talking oh, about my chicken. Goodness. Huh? He doesn't think I'm paying attention over Neil, these little shots he's giving me. Yeah, well, it did, it, Mark, you answered your question, it did lead to more pay for me. Which is for, always a good uh, thing. Because Stacy was the analyst. <laughs> oh, so thank you, that Neil. Was, that was Your good. check's in the mail. Um, no, I, I, you know what? I've been, well, there were two things. One, I had, I had done television. Uh, when I came to the Bulls to do radio, I was really coming from TV in Philadelphia. Um, I hadn't done radio in probably four or five years before I, uh, before I came back or came to Chicago. Um, so that, that transition wasn't quite uh, as difficult as one might think. However, everything has changed so much in the, the technology and how games are done and, and, uh, that it's, it was a little bit, a little bit different. And that's where, Stacy, who had been doing, you know, TV, was able to guide me a little bit when, you know, when I came over to work with him on on television. So it was, I mean, actually, I, I kind of looked forward to it. That the one thing that I can say in uh, starting in 91 in Chicago, I was blessed with really terrific people as my sidekick or analyst, um, beginning with, with Tom Borwinkle and, and Johnny Kerr for one season and Derek Dickey and John Paxson and whatever. And then, you know, obviously uh, transitioning to television with Stacy. So I, I mean, I had not only guys who were really good at that job, but guys that were really good people. I mean, just, you know, I, I, there wasn't one guy I had uh, that I, I don't consider a friend. So, so now, you know, we're getting ready to go into a perfect world with, you know, the COVID's not here in another year from now, Neil, and you go into retirement, you know, what is, what does retirement look like for you? Is it more golf, more seeing your grandkids? I know you love, you know, visiting your grandkids. What, what is retirement consist of for you and what do you plan on doing? Well, I, you know, I, hopefully I'll stay busy. I mean, I don't know because, you know, I was thinking that, you know, retirement was going to start you know, in June or May or whenever the, the season ended for the Bulls. Um, and so it's it's a little unfair to judge what retirement is from March until today because it's been such a different world for everybody. Uh, in a sense, everybody was kind of retired or working from home or whatever. Um, so I, I think all of the above of the things you mentioned, obviously, I'd, you know, I'd like to see my family a little bit more because they don't live in the in the Chicago area um, and my grandkids. And, you know, I'd like to play more golf and I'd like to be able to go in the winter where it's warm, whether that's to Arizona or Florida or wherever it might be. Um, but I, I don't know the answer to your question of what it, you know, is truly going to look like. I do know one thing just in talking to people that are retired um, that they say, you know, the, the key is to stay busy. 
whether that's, you know, a hobby or whatever it is, traveling, uh, but stay busy um, because you're used to being busy all the time. Um, so I won't miss all of the, you know, the late night travel, but I, but I'll miss the people that I was with and, and the relationships that you had uh, anytime you're doing, you know, games a, on a professional level. So that, that'll be the hardest adjustment for me, I think, is just missing the people. Neil, you mentioned the fact we went over your broadcasting career. How have things changed in terms of the, the art of calling a game from when you started to what it is now? Well, I mean, it, it, first of all, the technology has changed. So it's, you know, that's totally all those sponsor different. reads, right? Uh, <laughs> well, yeah, all that. But that, that you always had you always had a little bit of that. That that was that was always something you were kind of fighting, Good fighting goodness. against. You know, we, there's too many drop ins. There's too many this. But that, that's been that way for, uh, you know, for a long time. Uh, I, I think, you know, the game has changed. And, and that, uh, you know, is the biggest difference to me. It's uh, obviously they're just so much more athletic and, and faster and jump higher and everything else. I mean, back when I started, guys, um, you know, there, there had been some really athletic guys in the league like Will Chamberlain and Elgin Baylor and Johnny Green and Billy Cunningham, guys who could jump out of the gym. But they were, there was a handful of players like that. Now, I mean, you, you, you go out every night and there's, you know, 24 guys that are that athletic um, and, and skilled. So the game's changed. It's not as instinctive, I don't think, as it once was because of, uh, you know, all of this, you know, going through everything about the, the three-point shot changed a, a few things. And then uh, – you know, just the, the the instincts that you saw guys have as a player for a while, say back in the late 80s and early 90s, a lot of that's gone to me. Um, it's pretty much, you know, you're designated to go here and do this. Um, so uh, that that's the biggest difference to me. Did you get a chance to uh, catch the last dance? And, and what was your impressions of that? I, I, I got to tell you, I was riveted. I, I thought it was so well done. Um, you and I, Stacy, and you more so than me, but, you know, lived through that, that era. Um, but I thought it was, I thought it was really, really well done. Uh, the one thing, and, and it came along at just the right time. There's no question yeah. about that uh, with the pandemic being what it was. Um, but I, the one thing that I took away from it was how much I, you know, there was, there wasn't anything in it that I didn't remember once I saw it, but there was a lot of stuff I'd kind of forgotten that went on, on the periphery. Uh, that was one takeaway I had. And then the second thing was just how good Michael Jordan was, especially when you saw early on those, the old uh, tape and film of him playing against uh, the Celtics and Bird and uh, the Lakers and Magic and stuff. Just how just how great he was. You you I mean you know I saw him all through the '90s and stuff. But even as a young player, um, my goodness, I mean he was just in a different on a different planet. Yeah, it seemed even for uh, this younger generation of fans that grew up with uh, Kobe and LeBron. 
I think that Michael put some distance behind everybody in the GOAT debate for everyone who got a chance to watch The Last Dance because they saw not only what a spectacular athlete he was, but just his competitive drive that he would just lift up an entire team to try to take him to a, the six championships. I think that that won over a whole new generation of fans, Neil. Yeah, the one, the one thing, and Stacy can, and I get asked this all the time, uh, especially since that, that era, but, and Stacy could answer it uh, probably better than I, but the, the one thing that uh, I, I think a lot of people were uh, surprised by was not how competitive he was as a basketball player, but how competitive he was just in everything he did, in every single aspect of life, if that's how you want to uh, phrase it, um, just how competitive he was, uh, not just on the basketball court. I mean, people ask me all the time, they say, well, was he like that when he wasn't playing basketball? I say, absolutely. He was, I mean, yeah. play cards with him, play golf with him, play anything, just start talking to him. Well, I tell you what, I mean, you know, I, I really enjoyed watching it and it just brought back a lot of memories. I think the biggest thing that I took away from it you know, everything in it was was basically, you know, true uh, to a certain extent. Uh, I think the biggest <laughs> to thing, a certain extent. I think the biggest thing that really kind of bothered me is Jerry Jerry Krause's portrayal in that. I, I thought they really yeah, went, I, you know, they really I went out their way to, all, to, to, to. I think you're absolutely yeah. I, I think you're absolutely right. I, I think that was the one thing, um, and and a lot of people have asked me about that uh, since since they saw it. Um, and so, uh, I, I would agree with you. I think, you know, 99.9% of the stuff is, is true and it's stuff that happened. Um, but, but the way Jerry was portrayed, especially at the end of the dynasty, uh, was probably a little unfair. Yeah. I mean, not probably it wasn't. Well, Neil, we can't thank you enough for coming to join us on give me the hot sauce. So great to have Neil Funk joining us. Reminiscent about his day with Stacey King. I mean, you guys had such great chemistry, and hopefully uh, that friendship uh, will endure for forever. First of all, Neil, before you even answer that question, you know, we're on a tight budget here, so I know you were asking for payment, and unfortunately (laughs) there is no money coming. I'll send you some candy corn, some chocolate chip cookies. I thought you were going to send me a gift certificate. We we can't even afford that. I mean, we can write on a piece of paper. um, He's going to send you some of uh, Red Red Kerr's old candy. Yeah, Red Kerr's old candy that was stuck in his pocket with lint on it. I'll send you... Or, or Dave Chella. Oh, Dave Chella. Oh, my goodness. Oh, like he got out of a men's bathroom. Oh, off the floor. Oh, fun, oh, baby. Terrible. It's brought back memories, baby. Oh, Lord. I'm, oh, I'm so excited that you called in. If the people only knew how hard it was to get Neil Funk, if it wasn't my friendship with the great right. Neil Funk, Neil Funk does not do these interviews. He's got his own secret service details. Yes. Hey, Hey, Mark, and, yeah. and I will do, as you suggested uh, when Stacy wasn't around, I'll work on a name change for the show. <laughs> <laughs> wow, fuck. You know what's going to happen tonight, Neil? You're going to wake up in the middle of the night screaming, give me the hot sauce. Fuck, I just want you to You're know, right. Neil. I just want you to know, you better not be a stranger at that arena, too. You better be popping up, coming to see us, and hanging out and, hey, uh, I'll with be, the boys. I'll be popping up. Me and the great Swirsky and Bill. You know, and they're all they're all excited to see you. So uh, you don't be a stranger there, partner. I I, I, w- I won't be, and I hopefully 
uh, this show, I, I will be on this show. I'll become a regular on the show. Hey, as long as you're free, you can come on anytime. Yeah. <laughs> you can come on anytime. Price is right. We're not turning nothing down but a collar, baby. Yeah, there you go. I just, I just looked at my calendar, and I have nothing scheduled for the next year. <laughs> and, so, I, I, you hey, and you know, me both, Neil. They, I think we're all that way. Hey, you get on Twitter well, too. The fans want you on Twitter. Get on, get on social media, man. Come no, on. I'm going to be on this podcast. I'm going to be a regular guest. That's right. Okay, we're going to hold you to that, Neil Funk. And when I call I, you, you see Stacy King like you normally do. Don't put me to voicemail and then call me back a week later. Okay. <laughs> You got it. <laughs> Neil, we look forward to seeing you at the United Center at a game this season. Thanks a lot for joining Take us. Take it easy, Fonk. Good, good to talk to you guys. Talk to you. Hey, everybody. It's Aldo Gandia. If you're listening to this show but have not yet subscribed to the Bears Ballroom Radio Network, this is what happens when you do subscribe. You get automatic downloads onto your phone or any device you want of all of our shows here at the Barroom Network. And they include this very show, Stacey King's Give Me the Hot Sauce with Mark Shinovsky, Mark's other show with David Schuster, Sharpshooters, lots of great basketball talk. You got Mike North, Les Grobstein, and many other shows for your entertainment. It's all free. All you got to do is subscribe to the Bears Barroom Radio Network. Man, that was a lot of fun catching up with the great Neil Funk. And, you know, I asked him to tell some stories about you, and he wouldn't do it. So now I'm going to reciprocate. Tell me a great story about Neil Funk. Oh, man. Oh, man. You know, you know what goes on in the, in the broadcaster's booth stays in the broadcaster's booth. There's a code there. <laughs> and that's what Neil was living by, that code. And, you know, honestly, I mean, like, Neil – has a great sense of humor. You know, yeah, Neil he plays he a does. great straight guy. And yeah. people, you know, we have this great banter back and forth. And um, the one thing I can say about Neil that people probably don't know about is Neil allows me to do what I do. You know, because if you think of signature calls, you know, normally it's the the play-by-play guy that gives that signature call. Sure. Yeah. You know, and Neil has just allowed me to, to grow into that role and has never once, like, not let me do, not mm-hmm. let me be me. And so that's one thing I've always been grateful for because I could have worked with some different people that may not have allowed me to grow the way I've grown, you know, over the years in these 15 years that I did. So he's really helped me tremendously as a broadcaster. Um, you know, funny stories, you know, Neil's up at the crack of dawn. You know, no one else is up like Neil Funk. Neil Funk gets up like 5.30 in the morning. He's got to have his coffee. He's got to have his newspaper on every road trip. And he has a little golf hat on his little golf attire you know so um yeah he just just you know he's just he's 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 just different that way and you know so i don't wake up till probably noon so i obviously (laughs) if i catch him early in the morning it's rare (laughs) it's rare if i'm up that early but he he's always up that that early um but you know funny stories with him you know just you know, off off the air. I mean, you know, when we're off the air, some of the things he says, you know, uh, just has you laughing. Um, you know, Chuck Swirsky. You know, he he always pokes fun at Chuck Swirsky. <laughs> you know, like we're we're on the we're on the bus and they ask, is he asks, does he need a car seat? You know, does he need a booster seat to sit up in right. the chair? Um, you know, he has a, a a really good sense of humor, um, and I think where fans are going to really miss him is the voice. You know, he has a distinctive voice that is that old time, that old time and classic NBA, the Johnny Most, you know, the Chick Hearns, Mm -hmm. that, you know, their voice transcend, you know, the game. 
and he's one he's the last last of that breed you know he's the last guy and and i always attribute it if you ever watch that movie shane with uh alan ladd mm-hmm. you know one of classic movies classic western movies and i always you know told neil i'm little joey <laughs> and he's Shane. Yeah. So when Shane has that big scene with Jack Palance and yeah. he gets shot and he shoots, kills everybody in the bar and he gets on, he tells little Joe, little Joe, go back home and tell your mom I love her, you know, and whatever he said to her. <laughs> so, and he gets on the horse and he rides off. And so, you, and then little Joey's like, Shane, <laughs> Shane, come back. And, yeah. you know, and then, but you don't know if Shane is dead if he's going to die because he got shot. You don't know. Yeah. So he's kind of leaning to one side because you assume that he got shot, but he never fell off the horse. And he rides off into the sunset. And little Joey is yelling, Shane, Shane, come back. <laughs> so that's how I feel. It's, Neil, Neil, come back. Don't go, Neil. That's how I feel. Because it get, I get emotional because, you know, we've been working together for so long. And, you know, it just, I'm so used to looking to my left. And there he is, you know, and to now know that he's not going to be there, you know, that's, that's tough, man. Cause it's like, you know, he, he, he means so much to me outside of all this and to be able to get him on our, on our podcast was awesome because I know normally he's taking a nap about this time and to, (laughs) to be able to get him up and he skips his nap and his milk and cookies. Uh, Was that John? He did it for free. Oh yeah. And he did it for, cause we have a budget. We, you know, the budget is, we have nothing on the budget. So he did it for free cause I'm his, I'm his boy, but um, he's a hall of famer in my book. He will be sorely missed. I know bulls fans, everybody I talk to, you know, they really wish he can get a send off the proper way. And hopefully, I know the Bulls are, are gung-ho about it. It's just all based on when we can get fans back in the arena and mm-hmm. do it properly because he deserves that. And hopefully they give him a statue. They give him a statue and, and, and put it in there because he's meant that much to the organization and all the years that he put in, and, and that would be awesome for him. And you and Adam are going to be great. It's going to be a new, new era of Bulls basketball, but it would be great if you can do those games with Neil this year when, when Adam's unavailable. I hope so. I mean, you know, Adam's big time. You know, uh, he's got so many responsibilities, but he'll be doing, you know, a, almost pretty much all the Bulls yeah. games. But there'll be some games where he's got to do NFL. And then, mm-hmm. you know, Neil has, uh, has volunteered to come to in. Come out of retirement. Come out of retirement. Come out of the bullpen, you know, <laughs> and, and, and bring that fire that he has. And it'll be fun for me because, you know, it, it was an adjustment for me these last two years when, you know, he started missing games. And the first year he missed, I think we had like 15, 16 people. <laughs> we, had, we had 15, 16 people trying out. I was one of them. Oh, yeah. Well, I knew who you were. But but it was like every day it was like, you know, I'm, I, I, it seemed like I was seeing a different person. Sure. You yeah. know, and it was really – it was really, They have to wear a name tag. Yeah. My name is – Oh, they had to put it on their forehead. Hey, I'm Bill. <laughs> oh, hey, Bill, how you doing? Okay, you know, but it was fun. It was fun that, you know, it was fun because it gave me a chance to work with different people. Yeah. But I miss Neil. I miss Neil. And then last year we didn't have as many. You know, you were you were part of that. We had like I think nine. We cut it down to nine. And then uh, wow. we we kept it down to nine. And I think uh, one of the guys that uh, worked at a concession stand he, he bowed out. <laughs> he didn't want to do it anymore. He said he'd rather sell popcorn. Made so more he, money that yeah, way. Yeah, he made more money doing the popcorn. So, uh, but it it was it was challenging. But you know, as the season wound down and and I started realizing, you know that it's coming to an end, you know, then it kind of starts to hit at home, mm-hmm. you know, like he's not coming back. This is it. He's not doing this anymore. And, and so it's sunk in and, you know, the pandemic even had me even thinking about a little more watching the last dance and, and, you know, hearing his voice in there and seeing him in those, those, those scenes. 
it, it, it's tough, man. But you know what? He deserves it. He's been doing it yeah. for 30-plus years. He's earned the right to retire, and I know why he's retired. It's not that he got burnt out of the game. It's not because he doesn't want to do games anymore. He wants to spend more time with his family. You know, it's Absolutely. his family time. Yeah. You know, his wife, you know, Renee, to travel more, uh, to see his grandkids. Every time we see his grandkids, it looks like they, they're getting bigger every single yeah, time. Yeah, we always see shots of them yeah, in New York. They're, they're, the I mean, they're getting huge. And so, you know, he's not getting an opportunity to see them as much yeah. as he wants. And so, uh, and I think also the travel started getting to him a little bit. After you've been traveling for 30 years, you know, getting on the planes and coming in yeah. late night, man, that, that has an impact on you. Not a whole lot of fun. Well, speaking of coming out of retirement, that's uh, the perfect segue to our On the Down Low segment, a weekly feature here on the Give Me the Hot Sauce podcast. Stacy's a big boxing fan. Yes, sir. And, you know, I grew up, I'm 10 years older than you, so I, I grew up watching Ali Frazier, Ali Foreman, you know, all the great fights in, in, the, uh, in the 70s. But now you're getting guys that are in their 50s that want to fight again. We've got a fight coming up November 28th, Mike Tyson against Roy Jones Jr. And now Evander Holyfield's people are saying, hey, what about me? Are you buying this whole senior boxing circuit? You know what? I, I bought it when it was an exhibition. And looking at Mike Tyson, he's not looking at it as being an exhibition. I mean, have you seen his body? I mean, he looks like he's going to challenge for the heavyweight championship. So yeah. if I'm Roy Jones, look out! I mean, I'd be in there. <laughs> I, I would get myself mentally prepared that this man is going to try to knock my head off. You're going out there like Apollo Creed did with the with the Russian, you know, in, in yeah. Rocky, and think it's a joke and dancing around. Yeah. And then you know, Mike Tyson says, you know, if he dies. He does. You know, he does one of those things because that's the way he's looking right now. He looks like he's going to kill somebody in there. And so, he, he looks very dangerous yeah, he looks in dangerous. those scenes and, and so, you know, he's lost his weight. And, I mean, he looks really, really good. Yeah. Boxing is so boring right now. You know, UFC has, has really taken yeah. over, you know, competitive combat sports. And they so, got big fights every week. Exactly. And, and boxing, you know, where they've lost the viewers, where it used to be so exciting during, you know, when you look at Ali fighting, you know, Frazier two or three times. You know, he fought the best heavyweights. Mm -hmm. And so people have grown to wanting to see that. Sugar Ray Leonard, Marvelous Marvin Hegler, you know, you know Thomas Hearns versus Burnell Hegler, Whitaker. Duran versus Sugar Ray Leonard. The best guys fought each mm -hmm. other all the time, and that would that's what got the fan base so rabid. And now you have these guys that they fight past their prime. You know, you don't you don't see like Mayweather and Pacquiao. You'd want to see that fight, you know, ten years ago, and then they start fighting in their forties, and it's not the same effect. And and now you don't see the big names fighting in each other. I mean, you got Canelo. Who, who's who's an ex, uh, really exciting fighter? Um, you know he's fighting whoever he can fight, but there's not a lot of people. Get, he fought Triple G twice, and then you know even, he's got a new deal. But right? even but even Canelo? Triple G wasn't in his prime yeah. anymore. You know, so that fight kind of lost a luster. Where had it been made three or four years ago when Triple G was really destroying everybody and Canelo was destroying everybody, that would have been a great matchup. So they've got to go back now. I just saw a good fight the other night, uh, Lomachenko. And uh, Lopez. Yeah. Now that was that was, that was fight. two fighters that were no crowd. Two fighters that said, "Hey, I'm fighting the best person. This is the best guy for me to fight. This is a money fight." And they didn't make a lot of money off of it, but they put their their titles on the line. And Lomachenko has been been rated the pound for pound best guy, and he went in against a young, hungry Lopez, mm -hmm. and Lopez outworked him and beat him. And it was a great fight. It was on ESPN. It was a great fight to watch. 
And hopefully these other young fighters, I just saw uh, Leo Santa Cruz and uh, Javante Davis fight, which, you know, you have two champions uh, in different weight classes. They decide they want to meet up. And that was a great fight. So hopefully these young fighters will look at this and say, hey, you know what? Let, let's let's give the people what they want because that's how you build your fan base up. That's how you build up the respect of, you know, the boxing community and all these people who are going to UFC because they see all great fights all mm-hmm. the time. Now those people are coming back to the boxing because all the good fighters are fighting themselves when they're in their prime. So will you watch a Holyfield Tyson 3? Yeah, I'll watch it because, I, you know, I'll just, it's like, you know, it, you, you want to know what's going to happen because... Watch your ears. Because Tyson, Tyson is is still enigma. Everybody, yeah. I mean, Tyson, people will watch Tyson doing stand-up comedy. He's not even funny. You know what <laughs> right. I'm saying? Yeah. You know, you'll, yeah. See, you'll see him in a movie. Um, what is The Hangover? You yeah. know, singing. You know, yeah. that was cool. Like, people, he still has that, that grip on people. He has that appeal, so, yeah. So when you see Mike Tyson... You know, thinking about coming back and you see that he's taking it seriously. He's got himself in condition. He's got himself ready to go. And he looks like like Iron Mike when he used to come in with no socks on and the little towel around him. <laughs> you know, he pit bull Mike. Yeah. You know, I, I I feel like he's gonna it's gonna be fun watching it. I don't know. Holyfield keeps himself in shape, you know, so uh, but I think Tyson will will kill him. I mean, seriously, because he he just looks like he could fight some of the heavyweights that are out there. Now, I don't think he could I don't think Mike could beat, you know, some of these big heavyweights. But some of these smaller heavyweights, you know, I, I think he. I mean, when you look at a guy like you know um, the big the big guy from uh, our, uh, England, um, uh, what's his name? Tyson uh, Fury. Fury. Yeah. I don't think he can beat him. That that's too big. I yeah. mean, Wilder would be tough to beat because of their size. But there are some smaller heavyweights out there, you know, that he can yeah. fight that I can see him beating. So you get a full service uh, treatment here. This is like the car wash, you know. You get details. <sighs> Listen, man, we told you it's off the wall. We never know what <laughs> we're going to talk about. We talked to Neil Funk. You know, we got him out of retirement, got him from his nap, and he came in and did the show. Without Pat Riley, paid, we talked about. We talked about Pat yeah. Riley and, and all that stuff. I mean, that's how it's going to be. This show's going to be, you know, pretty much we're going to be talking about whatever we feel like the 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 current moment is right there. So. Just buckle up for the ride, baby. Just don't ask Stacy who the Bulls are going to pick at number four. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I gave you the political <laughs> answer today. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, fans. You know what? I, I was out there. I've been watching a lot of the elections, and people are not telling the truth. And so I thought I, I thought I, I thought I'd see if that worked. And uh, you know, Mark put me on the spot there. You know, so yeah. Thanks, Mark. Appreciate so the, it. So the draft is coming up on Wednesday. I know Bulls fans are really excited. The first step in getting the new season underway. The Bulls haven't played since early March. We can't wait to see Bulls basketball again with Stacy and Adam Amin on the call and get Funk out of retirement to call a few games. So basketball season is almost here. On our next Gimme the Hot Sauce podcast, we'll wrap up all the moves that AK and Mark Eversley made on draft night and look ahead to free agency. And Stacy will have a whole new round of stories to tell us. So make sure to listen and subscribe anywhere you find your favorite podcast. We'd love to hear what you think of the show. Hope you're enjoying it. We'll be coming at you again real soon. So Drive long, home everybody. safely. Beep, beep. beep. <laughs>